Hello and welcome to Generation Church of Independence, Kentucky with our pastor, David Mills. Like and follow us on Facebook at Generations Church where we live stream every Sunday morning. Now join in with us as we share in God's Word and we hope you enjoy. Um, if you have your Bibles today or your devices, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. We're getting ready to start five weeks the month of March has five Sundays, all five Sundays. We're going to be in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Uh, before we get there, before we start talking about uh, chapter one, I think it's probably good to give you just a little bit of background of who Daniel is, what timeline it happened, and what's going on in uh, that day that, that where we find ourselves when we open up this book. This is this is where we find ourselves. The author of the book of Daniel is Daniel, so it is his account. He's writing his account. And so um, a, brief, a brief background, if you grew up in the church, uh, Sunday school, you probably know Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. You knew that he uh, was a, a big king with a long last name, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, if, if you learned that in Sunday school or VBS, was from Babylon. Babylon had just destroyed the city of Jerusalem, had taken all the Israelites captive. Not only did they defeat them, but they burned the temple. They destroyed the city. Um, they humiliated God's people by taking all of their faith symbols from the temple. And so um, some of this was a direct result of Israel's disobedience towards God. Um, that they were sinning and they, the king of the Israelites at that time was not doing what God uh, told them to do. And so some of the results, some of the consequences of their sin is that Babylon comes in and destroys their city, takes them captive. And in the early 600s B.C., um, 600s before the, the birth of Christ, King Nebuchadnezzar wants to, because he's toppled over their regime, he wants to find young future leaders uh, that he can bring into Babylon um, so that he can intentionally doctrinate them into the Babylon, Babylonian culture and train them to become future governors, future leaders, future advisors in the kingdom of Babylon. And so um, it was actually pretty, a, a pretty smart move. They realized that there's Israelites, they probably have some pretty sharp people and so we want to get them at a young enough age, and we'll talk about what their age was here in a little bit. We want to get them at a young enough age. We want to bring them, get them away from the, the capital city, Jerusalem, and we want to bring them to the capital city in Babylon, over a thousand miles away, and we want to start training them at a young age to indoctrinate them of what our culture is so they will maybe forget about their culture. And we want the brightest, we want the best, we want the most educated so they can, in return, be our advisors, be our governors, be our leaders here in the Babylonian Empire. And so that's where we find uh, Daniel's picking up the story of how he uh, gets to the Babylonian Empire and how he starts to have interaction with the king himself. And if you have your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 3 through 20, uh, this is the account of Daniel. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and the other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. 
trained these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four young men chosen all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel, who is called Belshazzar, Hananiah, which you probably know better as Shadrach, Mishael, which is known as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Azariah, was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord and king who has ordered you to eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Has anybody ever heard of the Daniel fast? This is where the Daniel fast comes from. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed with Daniel's suggested and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom." question for all of us to wrestle with this morning, maybe not even answer this morning, but at least to wrestle with us, is when is the right time to stand out for your faith? I mean, we live in a culture where if, if you listen, I, I would think the, um, not, not the Western uh, thought of, of Christianity, but if just... I would say religious people in general are kind of under assault. It's the re religious freedoms are, maybe they are under assault. Where the church used to be the hub of culture, even 50, 60 years ago, everything was closed down on Sundays. The church was the hub. It's where everybody gathered. Church had a prominent place in community. Um, it's not that way anymore. And so when is the right time to stand up for your faith? It's not as revered anymore. I mean, if you're looked at as a Christian, depending on what the media says about Christianity and being an evangelical and all that kind of stuff, sometimes it just has a lot of connotation with it, sometimes bad, sometimes good. But I think we wrestle with when is the right time to blend in? When is the right time to stand out? When is the right time to stand out for your faith? I think Daniel gives us a great example that sometimes and maybe, maybe more than sometimes, that your faith does not have to be loud. 
that it doesn't have to be in front. It doesn't have to be shouted with a bullhorn. We all know people like that, that they will always tell you what they think. They will always tell you what they believe. And if you don't believe like them, they will shout you down and say, well, you need to believe like me because this is what it says in the Bible. Anybody know anybody like that? Just be on Facebook for a few days and you will find plenty. I've started blocking many people now that we have entered into the political arena and season. But I think Daniel gives us a great example that sometimes your faith does not have to be loud. It just needs to be lived out. And we find this right in chapter 1. We, we see that the king orders his chief of staff. I want you to find the best young men that you can find from Israel, the Jewish kids. I want you to find the best, and I want them to be knowledgeable. I want them to have good judgment. I want them to eventually serve in our royal palace, not as Jewish men or Jewish boys. I want them to be trained in Babylonian culture, Babylonian thought, and I want them to, to live as Babylonians. I want them to be advisors. I want them to be governors. And so the king says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to teach them these things. And we believe in them so much, we're actually going to give them food from the king's table, the wine, the food, all, all that they need. We're going to do that. And we're going to do it for three years. And then they can enter into the royal service. There's something we need to bring out, I think, that Daniel brings out here is that the king was intentional. The king was intentional about three things. He was intentional about what they would believe. He was intentional about how they would behave. And he was intentional about how they would think. Meaning, we're going to control these three things. And if we can control these three things, then we can, we can move them into the royal service after three years, and then they will be just like us, even forgetting where they came from. Do you realize the enemy that Scripture says roams and prowls and he's looking for someone to devour. Do you, do you realize that he's intentional about three things as well for your life? He's intentional about what you believe. He's very intentional about what you think about yourself. I mean, that's the one way the enemy creeps in probably most effectively to us. We've already sung about it. We start to live out what other people think about us, what other people label us. And if the enemy can do that, of what we really think about ourselves instead of who God says that we are, then he has us. And the other uh, is, is the, the enemy tries to be intentional about how you should behave. That living in a life of sin really isn't that bad. And he gets us to justify sometimes our behavior. And so with the king, just like with Daniel... I believe the enemy, just like with us, is pretty intentional. The enemy is sly. He is slippery. He moves and, and roams and, and crouches and at the right time wants to pounce on our relationship with Jesus Christ. I've said it before many times, and I believe it. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, when it comes to following Christ, we, do not, we just don't wander into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not just going to all of a sudden one day and just kind of like, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not going to wander into that. You have to be intentional about your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want your relationship with Christ to grow, you're going to have to be intentional about it. 
You're not just going to just wake up one day and think, oh, I, I have all the wisdom that God needs to give me, and, and, and then I'll just kind of do my thing. Oh, I oop, popped here. There, there we go. That was God. I mean, like, that's, not, that's not the way it works, although we like to treat it sometimes as the way it works. It's like our relationships. I had a discussion with one of my children today and, and about uh, that they hadn't seen a friend in a while and they wanted to see their friend and I was telling them, oh, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, with our friendships, you don't just wander into your friendships and you have to be intentional if you want those relationships to grow. Like if you don't talk to your friend for a couple weeks, you start to, to feel apart or you start to yearn to want to see them and be with them because you haven't seen and talked with them in a while. The same thing with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We just can't wander aimlessly about thinking, oh, I'll do this or do that, and eventually I'll get around. You, you just don't wander. You have to be intentional about it, just like you do your relationships, just like you do your marriages, just like, like you do your friendships. Our relationship with, with Christ is, is no different. There is an investment on our part. There is discipline on our part. Ephesians 6, 11, and 13 says like this, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Therefore, verse 13, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, meaning there's going to be some battles. There's going to be some trying times. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Sometimes I don't think we like to think about it, but do you realize that there is a battle going on for your soul right now? I, I really believe it. I teach a class at the Brighton Recovery Center every month on spirituality. And I, I talk to them about that, and, and they would say and would testify if they were here that they feel it because of what they've been through in their life. And... There's a battle going on for your heart and your soul and your affection and the things that you give, what, what you give your time. and care. There, there is a battle going on for that for you. And I'm not trying to scare people, but you know for your soul there's a battle going on right now. And when you're apathetic, when you're wandering around, the enemy really doesn't have any need to call you out because you're not really having any type of impact. But when you are disciplined, when you are living out your faith, when you are putting on the full armor of God, guess what? The enemy's going to attack because you pose a threat. Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to what? Resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Let's continue with the story of Daniel. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four young men chosen. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't, know as mu we don't use Daniel's name as much as Belshazzar. But most historians will tell us that these four boys, and I say boys because we would categorize them as boys, probably not as much in their culture, but they would have been 12 to 15 years old or so, give or take a, a few years. And this kind of hit home for me this week because that's the age of my boys. And so when I think about that, you, you have to think 12 to 15-year-old boys uprooted from their family, taken away as captives over a 1,000 miles from home. The king is very intentional and tells the chief of staff, this is what I want. I want you to strip them of their identity. 
I want you to crush any sense of dignity that they have. I want them to know that they are no longer in the Jewish world and, and serving Yahweh. I want them to know now they are under the rule of Babylonian rule. And they are now under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they are going to do what I tell them to do. And he gives even specific things for them to do. He changes their names. And this would have been very significant for them because their names were all tied to Yahweh. Their parents were very uh, uh, specific about what names that they would give their, their boys, the, the one true God. It was significant for them. What does King Nebuchadnezzar do? I'm going to change your name. Because I want you to forget who you really are. You are no longer one of the sons of Yahweh. You are now under Babylonian rule. And he changed them to a Babylonian name. He says, I want you to change their diet. They were to eat the king's food, and, and what they would eat would, would be so against what they were accustomed to eat, and they would be so against the covenant that God had made with the Jewish people to say, these are the things I want you to eat, these are the things that I don't want you to eat. And what King Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to give them the meat, I want you to give them the wine, I want you to give them everything from the king's table, which would have been everything against what they were normally allowed to eat. Verse 8. And you'll find out in Daniel, there's this word, but Daniel. But, like there was this pressure, but Daniel, but the three Hebrew children. There's always this, this deepening of their faith to say, this is what they wanted them to do, but Daniel was determined. Wasn't just wandering around, God, I hope you save me. Daniel was determined in his faith. He had the full armor of God on was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. See, there's a few things that Daniel teaches us that I, that I mentioned from the beginning. That, that your faith doesn't have to necessarily be loud. We've been around people that are loud with their faith and with the bullhorn, and it just needs to be lived out. And Daniel begins to teach all of us a few great lessons from insights from chapter one. The first one is this. A lot of times we use God's name for our benefit. When, when we want to be right on a situation or if we want to finagle out of a situation, sometimes we're okay with invoking God's name and as God's reasons when it really wasn't anything to do with God, but we like to use his name to kind of back out of situations. I will admit, when I was younger, um, probably some good things, probably not so good things, but I, I've used God quite a bit to break up with some girlfriends over my lifetime. I, I don't know if you guys have done that, but it says, like, instead of just telling a girl, you know what, you're driving me crazy, I really don't want to date you anymore, I'd say, you know what, I've been spending a lot of time with you, and it's really taken away my relationship with God, and I think I need to go spend more time with God. And for some, I mean, for good reason, it kind of softened the blow instead of I really don't like you. It was more, you know, and we, and we use, I mean, that's kind of a silly illustration, but sometimes we use God that way. And Daniel teaches us that sometimes, you know, God is, God is big enough. Sometimes we don't have to invoke him. We don't have to use him for our benefit. That when it came to Daniel's name and 
the other three Hebrew children and their name. He didn't defend his name. He said, that's fine. You can change our names. He didn't, at least in Scripture, it says they didn't buck up against it. They, they knew who they were and, and, and who God had made them to be. They were, they were steadfast in their relationship. They knew who God was to them. So they, they didn't need to defend their name. However, we'll find out next week and the coming weeks, they would always take a stand for God's name when God's name was going to be defamed. Not necessarily their own name. They didn't defend themselves. They said, it's a name. We know who we are in Christ. I know who I am. I know who you say that I am. They knew who they were. And so the name change, not a big deal. Another thing that we could learn from Daniel chapter 1, his faith, although very bold, Daniel's faith all throughout the book of Daniel, I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, it is a life of courage. Although it was very bold, it wasn't on public display. He wasn't the one out front saying, this is the way that you need to believe. I mean, he was in enemy territory. He was having to know who God says that he is. But did you see, he didn't go to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do this. He goes to the person that's in charge of what he eats. He says, hey, I, I, I want to talk to you. And it wasn't out for everybody to see, but I, have you thought about this? He wanted to stand up like, I don't, you changed my name, that's fine, but I don't want to eat. My relationship with God is so important. I don't want to eat what you're telling me I have to eat. But have you thought about this? It wasn't public. It was bold. It was out front. He was standing up for his faith, but it wasn't, hey, everybody, listen to me. God's going to kill all of you because I'm right. And see, sometimes we use God that way too. I'm going to get out in front of this. I'm going to share what my opinion is because I think God wants to share his opinion through me. And one of the worst places we do this is in the political arena. God, help us in the political arena. Can I tell you that both sides are guilty of it? God is often used to score political points for our particular party. And as Christians, sometimes we fall into the trap of standing out in the wrong way. That instead of just living our faith, instead of letting our actions speak for who they are, we feel like we have to get out in front and defend God. Can I, can I let you know that God's, a, God's pretty capable of defending himself? And I promised myself, and I'm going to do it in the second service, um, I, I could go down some rabbit trails here. I'm not going to do that. We will address that closer to the election. I believe God is very clear in Scripture about what that all means for us and how we're supposed to live out our faith, even as a Republican or even as a Democrat or even as an independent. But we're not going to go down that road today. So if you're into all that stuff and you want to see, oh, I wonder if I agree with Pastor Dave or not, then you have to come back closer to the election, all right? And probably everybody's toes will be stepped on. That'll be okay because we need it stepped on every now and then. But we continue on. Daniel says to the, the person overseeing their growth and their three years of training, please test us for 10 days. I, I, know, I know this could cost you your life. 
you could tell that the scripture even says that he'd already built a relationship with this guy, that this guy was endured to Daniel, that they had built a relationship. So he wasn't just asking some no name, like, just please trust me. Like, they, they, they had built a relationship, said, just, would you just for 10 days? I know that this had cost you your life, but just for 10 days, could you see how we look compared to the other men that you're feeding all the wine and all the meat? And would you just see after those 10 days and then make your decision? I'm not telling you that you, you have to go against the king's wishes, but could you just see what that would look like? See, Daniel gives us a beautiful illustration that living out your faith doesn't mean you have to be loud. It just means you have to follow the Spirit's leading. And instead of making a public protest, which many of us like to do, like somehow it's going to surprise God if the, the wrong person is elected in office. Instead of making public protest, and Daniel honors authority. He still honors the authority that he's under, but he creates a plan. And Daniel reminds us when we are steadfast and we are disciplined in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're not wandering around aimlessly, God can give us the wisdom to stand out in the right way. Verse 19, the king talked with them. Listen to this. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. I mean, I'd like to tell you the rest of Daniel is that, man, the king loves them and they don't have any hardships and they don't, they're tested, their faith isn't tested. That's just not the case. But at this moment, their relationship, because it is, they, they're willing to stand up for their relationship with God, but they weren't necessarily, I mean, they just lived it out. And so they started to build trust with people. You, you know, really, the only way that you can spill, speak truth into people's lives is after you've built trust with them. Nobody wants to hear your thoughts if you have no relationship with them. At least I don't really care about what you think if I don't build a relationship with you. And yet we make it so easy. The king talked with them and was impressed. He was impressed with them more than anyone. And they were still living out their faith. They had not compromised anything. You see, there are right ways to stand out for our faith, and there are wrong ways to stand up for our faith and stand out. And Daniel, in chapter 1, begins to show us what it means to be disciplined, to put on the full armor of God, to be disciplined in our relationship with Christ so that we can live out our faith, that we can have courage to stand up even when the tough times come. And the tough times will come. And the question is, when the tough times come, will God find us wandering around or will he find us with the full armor of God ready for battle? Because scripture says, after the battle, meaning that there are going to be tough times that come, there are going to be tough circumstances that come, after you will still be standing firm.
I think sometimes we say, well, I'm not very outspoken. And I think it's easy to say, well, Dave is, Dave is saying that we don't have to be very vocal about our faith. And so that must mean I can just kind of blend in. That's not what I'm saying. Because blending in is way more comfortable. Standing out takes courage. I want you to hear me this morning. I think if done the right way, and it is done the right way, Daniel gives us the example of doing it the right way, that we can live out our faith, that we can build relationships with people that don't know Jesus. And we don't have to have a bullhorn, but they're attracted to us in our relationship with Christ. Why? Not by what we say, but how we live. Many of you came to Christ not because of what someone said to you, but because the way someone lived out their life with Christ in front of you. And Daniel was so confident in his faith, and he knew that tough times, he, he was in enemy territory, he knew, but he was confident. He didn't know how or how God was going to do it why God was doing it this way, but I do know that Daniel knew that he was confident in the one that he served. And he lived it out. He lived it out and didn't approach it from a human perspective. But the Bible teaches that he lived from it from a, a spirit-filled perspective of living out his faith, and it says that God gave them wisdom to navigate through all of the tough times that they would face. You know, God can put his spirit in you to give you the same wisdom that he put in Daniel, to give you the same faith that he put in Daniel, to give you the same courage that he put in Daniel. The question is, do we have the courage to live that type of faith, or are we okay with just kind of wondering, oh, struggles happen, I got to call on God. And I, I think God is faithful to meet us in those points as well, but I know that God would much rather have a relationship with us and be intentional about a relationship with him instead of just kind of wandering around like the Israelites did for so many years. The question this morning is, what are you afraid of? like the Bible, or just like the video share. What, what, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of standing out? Or are you, just, are you just comfortable with blending in? You're okay. It's good. I pray that God would give us the courage as we go through the book of Daniel and as we see these four Hebrew boys, young in their faith, pray that God would give us the courage that he gave them. Because you realize that God can do the same thing in us that he did in Daniel. Like Daniel's not just some superhero that God chose. That God chooses everyday, ordinary people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And that means he chooses us too to do his work. Will we have the courage like Daniel? I pray that we will. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the life of Daniel and what he he means and the words that he has penned to paper and what it means for our life, I pray that we would take this book 
And over the next few weeks that you would shape us and mold us and that uh, you would speak through this book. And if there are areas in our life where we need to step out in faith, where we need to be more intentional in our relationship with you, where there are going to be times that, or maybe we're just living through a circumstance right now that we don't know if we can get through it, you promise us that we can stand, that we can put the full armor of God on, and that even after the battle has ended, we could be standing firm. I pray that we would have that type of faith in you. I pray that you would give us the courage of Daniel this morning. And if you can use him, you can use us. I pray that we would be clay in your hands. I pray that this week, with our circle of influence, that you would give us the opportunity to show God's love, not by shouting, not by just our words, but by living out our faith that we have found in you. I pray that you would help us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.